You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Well, just Spain. Fitz is going to join me later, as he always does on Monday nights. He's got his digital Monday night football show right now. But he'll be on in a little bit. And, of course, in addition to all of the sports stuff we'll be getting to today, we have to get to Fitz's uh, Halloween. Uh, As always, I'm sure he went all out. And so we'll get into some of the details of the goings-on in the Fitz household. We're on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You can always join in and be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back. And so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, where you can get to us there. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Going to talk Monday Night Football, a chance for the Chiefs to try to get themselves on track against a lowly Giants team tonight. Of course, we got to get into a massive sports Halloween yesterday that you could easily say was full of both tricks and treats. Let's start with the baseball. I'll tell you what, if I see a team hit a grand slam early on in what could be a clinching World Series game, I sometimes usually expect the other team to feel a little deflated, to get a little puckered, and to probably, most likely, blow the rest of the game. And instead, what we saw was an Astros team who did not flinch. We also saw a Braves team whose pitching was absolutely atrocious. Uh, let them right back in it. Braves go on to lose that game, that opportunity to win at home. Astros force a game six. And here's Tim Kirkshen. He was on SportsCenter with SVP. He actually put into numbers how rare it was for the Astros to win that game after giving up that, that grand slam. That is one resilient team, and we've seen it all year. This was the third time in this postseason that I'm thinking, boy, the Astros are in big trouble, and they might not get out of this one, and yet they do. So teams that have hit grand slams in the World Series are now 18-3. and three. Today was the third loss. And as you said, Scott, this is the first time since 2002 that a team facing elimination was down four runs in a game and came back to win. And Dusty Baker, being the manager of the Giants that year, just a beautiful coincidence. Yeah, uh, Dusty Baker and his squad. Uh, Listen, I'm not going to make any friends here with this, but I know a lot of you are saying you want the Astros to win because you want to see Dusty Baker win. All right, I can see that. But it's hard with the whole cheating thing. And I know there's only so many players left on the squad and Altuve never had the buzzer and yada yada, but... It is icky feeling to root for the Astros. So I was firmly in the camp of let, let's let's uh, let's root for the Braves. But I'll tell you, every time that chop chant starts, it just makes me angry. So I'm like, okay, best case scenario here is they lose at home so that they have to win on the road so that the, the Astros still lose, but there's also no chop. I, that's all I could think of. That's, I guess, rooting for the meteor is what most of us are doing in this pr- pretty unlikable series, but... I guess I'm going Astros uh, blowing it at home, Braves on the road, people doing the chop don't get to be uh, satisfied. I don't know. That's that's all I got at this point with this series. Game tomorrow will be off again. Game Wednesday if it goes to seven. So some some tricks and treats in the World Series. Sunday football, I don't even know anymore. We don't know anything. We say that a lot with the NFL, but we really don't know anything. I think this tweet that I got uh, pretty much summed it up at in-between baller. 
Uh, the Jets beat the Bengals, who trashed the Ravens, who narrowly beat the Chiefs, but smashed the Chargers, who won against the Raiders and the Chiefs, but lost to the Pats, who have lost to the Dolphins, Bucks, Cowboys, and Saints, but have won two against the Jets by a score of 79 to 19. Yeah, that's it. That's that's the NFL. We're getting to that point again. I keep referencing it where you can make that complete circle where there's this team that beat this team that beat this team that beat this team until you get all the way back around to the top. And this time it was a bunch of tricks, a horror story for a bunch of teams that were supposed to have a fa- that were favorites that were supposed to win Cardinals, Browns, Bengals, Chargers, Bucks, Vikings, Colts, all favorites, all lost. And then you got a lot of treats in the form of backup quarterbacks disguised as starters, disguised as quality NFL players. And and that was what was fun to watch. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain until Fitz joins me next hour. Let's start with Mike White. Again, we said I said we don't know anything. And if you remember, it was a week or so ago when we said, wow, the Jets are morons, right? They were criticized fairly for not having a good backup plan just in case something happened to their golden boy draft pick, he gets hurt, and they got Mike White? Ah, so the Jets listen to everybody. They say, you're right, you're right. We need, to, we need to get a veteran in here. Let's go ahead and give away some assets for Joe Flacco, who we already had and could have hung on to, but we didn't. So they go out, they give someone up to get Flacco, and here comes Mike White. Threw for 405 yards. First quarterback since Cam Newton to throw for more than 400 in his first starts. Three touchdowns, first player in the NFL history to have a 400-yard game with three or more touchdowns in their first career start. Also started the game with 11 straight completions. That's the most by any quarterback in his first start since 1978. Perhaps even more meaningful was not just his individual stats, but teams were 0-59 this season when trailing by double digits with five minutes left. Jets came back from down 11 with five minutes to play. They had lost, the Jets specifically, 40 straight games when trailing by double digits with five minutes left. So Mike White making all of us look stupid, saying, oh, what are you doing having Mike White backing up? They also make the Jets look stupid. So somehow, even in the celebration of this moment, the Jets still have to feel bad about it because they went out and gave up assets for Flacco, who probably won't see the field now if Mike White keeps this up. Robert Sala, the Jets head coach, an interesting response when asked after that game whether he could be the future starter for the team. Anything's possible. So it's it goes back to that whole theory of the difference between player A and player Z is an opportunity in reps. That's what this league is. That's professional sports. That's why they come out of nowhere. They Someone gets an opportunity. And what Mike does with his opportunity is he's got the world in front of him. He's got to take advantage of it. Yeah, I, I think we're taking that a little too far. Absolutely. There are some guys that come out of nowhere and surprise you. I'm also not going to say that, uh, you know, Tom Brady is exactly the same as, uh, I don't even, I'm trying to think of the the very bottom of the barrel. I don't know. Who's the guy who threw like five picks? Doug, 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 uh, what's his name? I've already forgotten him. Thank you, Nathan Peterman. I don't think Tom Brady and Nathan Peterman, the difference is just some reps and an opportunity. But I mean, I appreciate him keeping it open. If you're the head coach of the Jets, you just don't know what's coming next. You might as well not close that door. You might need to open it. Spain and Fitz here, Spain, talking about a wild Halloween Sunday in the NFL where a bunch of backups stepped up in incredible ways. Last night, that was fun. Listen, I, I got nothing against the Cowboys. I don't hate the Cowboys like a lot of other people do. And it's fun to see a moment like that, a guy like that who gets an opportunity in Cooper Rush who's done almost nothing at the NFL level. His parents are there. They're emotional. 
threw for 325 yards and two touchdowns. The the Cooper game, because it came winner from Cooper to, to Amari Cooper. And that was followed, by the way. I mean, shout-outs to the Cowboys for making that happen, to Cooper Rush for making that happen. But Mike Zimmer, somehow not knowing the rules, despite coaching in the league since 1994, tried to call two straight timeouts in the fourth. That gave him a penalty. Also, one of the worst final drives of a football game I've ever seen. And that's really saying something because I've been watching the Bears for my whole life. But wow, between Zimmer and Cousins, the end of that game was painful. Guys couldn't get out of bounds. The play calling was horrific, trying to call the timeouts. I mean, as someone accurately pointed out, the only way that was not the most perfect Vikings end to a game was that their kicker didn't have to miss for them to lose. That would have been it. They just need to, to finish on a blown kick. But shouts to Cooper Rush for getting it done. And then the Saints, third-string quarterback, Trevor Simeon, somehow manages to pull the upset over the Bucks. Sean Payton and the Saints, 3-0 and in regular season against the Bucks since Tom Brady took over as quarterback. Somehow Sean Payton knows how to figure it out. Also, Tom Brady has a hilarious list of trash quarterbacks that he somehow manages to lose to. At least one a season he's good for. Uh, which reminds us all that he's human. I think that's what Alex Smith said today on, on, on ESPN Daily. Uh, he has to do that just once a season at least for us to believe that he's not actually a cyborg robot. He's just got to lose to someone trash. No offense to Trevor Simeon. Congrats to him and the Saints on figuring it out. But Brady's always good for one of those. So it was a wild Sunday. Uh, we got some news today as a result of the goings-on of yesterday. We'll get to it next. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance, proud to support veterans with its annual Keys to Progress vehicle giveaway program. Now celebrating nine years of donating vehicles, helping veterans in need. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. Jess Mendoza is going to talk World Series in a little bit, but coming up, we got a number of big injuries around the NFL that could impact the playoff landscape and a trade. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz going to join me in the next hour. He's doing his Monday night football digital show. We'll get into some Monday night talk in just a little bit. Going to have someone come on and talk about whether the Chiefs can salvage their season or if the Giants pull off the upset tonight. Let's get into some other NFL news of the day here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Number one being a massive injury that takes out, potentially, the expectations for a playoff team. And that is Derrick Henry, injuring his lower leg after having tests done. It turns out he broke the fifth metatarsal of his foot, going to undergo surgery tomorrow, according to Mike Vrabel. He returned to the field. And listen, it's very easy to play the hindsight game and argue this is a time that you need to protect a player from himself. The injury apparently happened in the second quarter. Should they have let him go in? Did he make it worse? Could it have been a shorter injury time period if he had not continued to play? But we can't say that now. What we know is that he's out, and it it could be for the whole season. There is an outside chance he could come back in early January. That's the most optimistic timeline, about eight weeks. He'd be back for the playoffs. But Dan Orlovsky doesn't seem too hopeful about that. This is what he said on NFL Live. He's done. He's not playing again this year. You're on crutches for six weeks if you have a pin put in, which is happens in that Jones fracture. So I don't think Derrick Henry's playing again this year. This is a huge loss for this football team. We, we know, like, this is for me the, like, the Packers losing Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's the identity of their offense. We know that 
a couple years we've been talking about how they're a throw first, run second team, but he's their closer. Yeah, uh, he is their closer and their starter and their middle as well when it comes to the run game. And yet somehow, uh, I guess lacking any other option, Mike Vrabel, Titans head coach, had to come out and say, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to keep doing what we do. Well, I mean, I think that we're going to continue to run the ball with whoever's in there. We're going to run our offense. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to sit there and drop back and throw it 45 times a game. So, again, we'll, we'll meet with, you know, Todd and his staff. We'll meet offensively, and we'll come up with what we feel like is the best plan. Certainly don't want to get into a drop-back passing game this week. Yeah, they've got the Rams. <laughs> That's a tough, tough one to go throw for throw. The reason why, I, I know he has to say that, and you do have to keep the other team guessing on on, on a balance of, of the ground game and the, and the passing game, but Derrick Henry leads the NFL in rushing. Had 219 carries through the first eight weeks, most through eight games in NFL history. Their second leading rusher is Ryan Tannehill. No running back on their roster has more than 38 yards. So, yeah, you got to say it, you got to try it, but can it actually happen for the Titans is the big question. The good news for them, they've got a three-game lead over the Colts, but because they swept Indy, it's more like a four-game lead. So they just have to go four and five, which is asking a lot. But they have to go four and five to end the season, and the Colts would have to go eight and one to overtake them. The Colts still have the Cards, Patriots, Bucks, Bills on their schedule, so going eight and one not going to happen. Titans get the Texans twice, Jags, Dolphins. There's four wins right there if they can get those. So it's not all over for the Titans. Well, it depends on who you talk to. We'll get into that a little later. When we play good take, hot take, there are certainly some people saying it's all over for the Titans. They are um, picking up Adrian Peterson, according to Adam Schefter. Uh, We'll see what he has left, if anything, in order to help that team. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to tune in to That's What She Said, the podcast hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. I appreciate their continued support of women sports journalists and athletes, both here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Okay, other big NFL news of the day. A big trade. Von Miller headed to the Rams. The Broncos get a 2022 second-round pick and a 2022 third-round pick. So this is right after they make this big deal to bring in Matt Stafford from the Lions. Uh, and, and you're adding an eight-time Pro Bowler in Von Miller. You're adding him to Aaron Donald. You're adding him to Jalen Ramsey. And you're adding to your dearth of draft picks, which doesn't seem to be something the Rams care about much. They don't have a first or second round pick in the 2022 draft. So no picks next year. No pick. No pick until the third round. Uh, and they don't really seem to worry much about that. This is a team that wants proven players over potential that you can get in the draft. And I actually really like that strategy. Certainly has worked when it comes to Matt Stafford this year. DeMarco Farr, 710 ESPN LA Rams analyst, talked about why Sean McVay wanted to pull the trigger and make this move for Von Miller right now. Uh, The last thing I want to ask Sean McVay on any given day of the week is, hey, let's talk about two or three years down the road. Mm -hmm. He will give me the blank stare because he's (laughs) not like that. He's thinking about the right now. Les Snead the same way. Les Snead kind of blocks out the future and only thinks of the present. Um, I think that's great. I think that's how you should be. I still think this is residual from the Super Bowl in New Orleans when you were that close to getting it done. So 
now that the Super Bowl is in your house, uh, yeah, I, 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 this is a, a group that's unafraid to pull the trigger on some big moves. I heard you talk about Jalen Ramsey. Even more so now, the Super Bowl is here. SoFi was built for Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I'm cool with it because as much as you like to project out to what your team might look like in the coming years, we need to look no further than the Chiefs this year. And not that it's over for them. The way things have started for a team that people had projected out win after win after win, returning a ton of their starters with their superhero quarterback. I like, let's win now. Looking around, we got all the pieces. I'm willing to give up some draft picks that might get good. And listen, we'll find out in a couple years if they're really hurting because of that lack of draft picks or if they keep making smart moves via trades and free agency. I, I like that from the Rams, especially this season. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain until Fitz joins me in about a half hour here on ESPN Radio. A couple other pieces of news. Uh, Calvin Ridley taking a break from the game to take care of some mental health. Said he needs to focus on his mental well-being. Not really giving us much in terms of insight. Uh, the Falcons aren't on their star receiver. Uh, he made a statement, uh, sort of just sticking with that. And I don't know if we'll find out anymore, but he, he's not required to tell us anymore. Um, he's taking care of himself. He's he's prioritizing that. Uh, so that's some news today. Also, you know, I mentioned earlier the Saints had that big win. Trevor Simeon uh, outdoing Tom Brady. Uh, that was because Jameis Winston got knocked down the second quarter, out for the season with a torn ACL. We know that obviously that team has Taysom Hill, but he's missed the last couple games with the concussion. So that leaves them with Trevor Simeon right now. And will they go looking for a Philip Rivers who said this summer he might, you know, Think about coming back if if there was a spot for him and he's done with that high school season, what he was doing coaching. Or Cam Newton, maybe. Did the Saints look for a trade? Nick Foles is still whiling away on the uh, bench for for the Bears. Maybe Jacoby Brissett, Marcus Mariota, Mitch Trubisky, maybe even Andy Dalton, uh, since Justin Fields has taken over the spot in Chicago. Uh, so keep an eye on the Saints, who are keeping themselves alive with that win despite – uh, a deflating loss of of Jameis Winston, really upsetting for that team, as he was uh, he was playing pretty well, had really kept down the turnovers, which is always the big question with him. I don't have a lot of faith in that Saints team, uh, and certainly this is another blow. Coming up here on Spain and Fitz, the World Series is shifting back to Houston. Will the ghost of Atlanta collapses haunt the Braves? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I'm not making a lot of friends here uh, talking about how I'm rooting for the Meteor. I'm just being honest, guys. Listen, sometimes two unlikable teams face off, and that's kind of how I'm feeling. I don't like the chop. Send me some more hated emails and, and tweets. I can handle it. Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain. Fitz is going to join me in a half hour here on ESPN Radio. ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. The chops drowned out by the Braves uh, giving away a massive lead by the Astros chopping away at that lead until they pass them by and forced a game six, which will be in Houston tomorrow night. I'm going to bring in an expert to talk about everything that went down last night and what this series feels like moving into game six. It's time for straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless joining me on the Goodyear hotline. Jess Mendoza, ESPN MLB analyst. You can hear her on the call 
for the World Series with Eduardo Perez and Dan Schulman. Game six tomorrow night right here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app coverage starts at 7 Eastern. Yeah, Jess, everyone's mad at me because uh, I don't want the Braves to win at home because then all the people chopping are happy, but I also don't <laughs> want the Astros to win. So I'm like, I guess this is best case scenario. The Braves can win on the road. So Astros fans are sad. Braves fans don't get to be super happy. You know, I think everybody wins because everybody loses. <laughs> Why, why, why do you have to hate? It's just because the Cubs aren't in it. Nowhere near I know. It for a it's very part long of it. Time. You don't have to it's, hate everybody who's here. You know what? It's part of it. Actually, I don't think the Braves players are unlikable. Uh, so that that helps out. And a lot of the uh, uh, Astros folks weren't even involved back then. It's just, you know, it sticks. Yeah. You know this. It sticks to them. Um, and it's hard to forget um, when you're watching even though there's plenty of guys that are that are new to this Astros team. And Dusty Baker is engendering a lot of uh, good vibes from people. What did you hear from Dusty last night about the way his team was able to look at that grand slam and say, we're all right, we'll get back in this? Honestly, I think that is where 2017 helps them. I mean, you look at the whole infield and the experience that they have. I mean, that Dodgers series going back four years and what they came back from and the ups and downs that entire series that, yeah, they hit a grand slam in the first inning. It's not going to phase, especially those four. Um, so, I mean, to me, I don't even think it's so much Dusty Baker as it is, like, I, I look at that infield and just the veteran experience that they've had in those moments of yeah, packs are against the wall, grand slam. I mean, I think everyone in the park felt like, yes, the World Series has been one game over right then, um, except for those four. And I think the leadership has really come internally the most from them. Um, you know, and changing the lineup, I think, too. I mean, having the right guys in the right spots to be able to get the big hits, Bregman moving down and getting the double, um, isn't a coincidence to be able to, to tie that game. I mean, him having that big hit um, and they cut the lead by two, cut it in half um, in response was everything. Like, they didn't come back and tie them, but coming back and responding after a blow um, is everything that tells you about this Astros team. Jess Mendoza with me here on Spain and Fitz. She's on the call for the World Series on ESPN Radio for every game. You know, I I think you look at that Astros team, and as much as it sucks to get into that 4-0 deficit, you look at the mound, and you kind of know that this is a ragtag group of Braves relief pitchers who are having to put together an unexpected outing a couple games in a row here because the injury to Morton. So were you taking that into account as you were saying, oh, this one's probably not over because the pitching has been a little too shaky to presume that a four, even a four-run lead is safe? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I wasn't. I felt like the crowd was feeling that way. I, I mean, it's the World Series. You know that something's going to happen. Like, it's not <laughs> just going to end there in the first inning. But um, to be honest, I mean, the Braves' bullpen has been that. Like, I, I did the Dodgers series, and to see them shut down one of the better offenses mm. and a lot of those batters, it was impressive. Um, especially because you look at the Braves throughout the regular season, their bullpen was like, okay. You know, they weren't anything you were talking about a lot. Um, it's been, you know, three studs that they've leaned on, and that's what happens in the postseason is you're not using ten guys. You're really just leaning on three or four. So they've been able to do it, but those guys are tired. And um, I think my biggest question in this next game is Max Freed and how much length he can give them because if he's unable – um, his last two starts, he struggled, you know, to get into the later innings. And when I say later innings, Sarah, I'm now talking about the fourth and fifth. Right. That's how crazy <laughs> it is starting pitching. Like, you are so <laughs> your starter is in the fifth inning. But um, so that they don't have to continue to rely. I mean, I look at Tyler Matzik, and, 
AJ Minter and, and Will Smith and those three have been leaned on for 60% of the innings pitched by the Braves mm. in the postseason. That's crazy. Um, and I don't care like how good you are. I mean, this Astros team is going to adjust. So I think the biggest thing is how, how much Max Fried can go and be as good as we saw him, especially the back half of the regular season. Jess Mendoza is with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about the World Series. You mentioned Minter. Did you agree with Brian Snicker's idea that this is the time to put him in and see if I can ride him just for the, for the length of the game, see if see if see how long he can handle it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what they've done to get to this point. I mean, option B and C and D isn't going to be much better. I mean, you can go with some other guys, but – they really just haven't been that good. I mean, Dylan Lee would have been another option, but we saw him struggle in his opener role um, in game five, so or four, whatever the heck game that was. Um, and so to me, it's it's been those three, and I think Smith is going to continue to do that. Like, he's going to lean on Matzik. He's going to lean on Will Smith. Luke Jackson will be in the mix, too. But A.J. Minter's been that guy. And eventually, and, it, you know, his cut fastball wasn't, you know, doing the same thing that we've seen it do, but it makes sense with the amount of innings that they've relied on him. But that is the guy you go to there. Yeah. Jess, you know, it's interesting because the Braves are the team that had the 3-1 lead in the series, but it felt like they were sort of plugging holes in a boat all game. You were, like, worried about it, things going awry even though they had the upper hand in the series. Has it felt like that to you, that despite the Astros being down, maybe there's more of a quiet confidence? At, and on the other side is where all the hustling and and sort of, you know, trying to patch it together is happening? Did we lose Jess? We might have lost Jess. That's how it feels to me. We'll try to get her back if we can, but... You know, you're looking at a team that has a, a series lead, that has the opportunity to win it all and clinch it, and because of the fact that they're having to depend so much on that bullpen and, and plug in uh, pitchers and make up for the loss of Morton, it just feels like they're always kind of, like I said, plugging holes at a boat, and the Astros are surprisingly confidently pushing forward, and I, I'm curious, and we'll ask you guys. You can hit me up on Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain at Spain and Fitz. Do you feel like the series momentum has shifted because of that win? And I'll ask you that just because I was just asking. Does it feel like the Braves, despite having a leader, sort of continuing to pl plug holes in a boat while the Astros are somehow more confident despite being down? It's always like that. I mean, that's how these work. I mean, especially when you're going back to Houston. Because um, I do feel like the Braves, I mean, when they're playing at home, and I saw it with the Dodgers too, like it, it is a benefit. I mean, that crowd is crazy. You know, chop, no chop, whatever you, you think on all of it, like those fans are, are in it. And you come back to Houston, and I mean, it's loud and minute made. So, you know, I do feel like the momentum shifts just on the fact that your destination is now shifted and, and you're back home at Houston for the Astros. But I think the biggest concern is is really when they get into those later innings, like who they go to, and especially like I, I think about Tyler Matzik. I mean, he's been the best guy out of that bullpen, and if he starts to get hit, I don't know how they they pull off these next two games. So what is 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 that the X factor for you then? And Jess Mendoza, ESPN MLB analyst, with us here on uh, the Goodyear Hotline. That's that's the X factor for you over the course of tomorrow and if there is a game seven um that that's what it is for you 100 percent. i mean you could say it used to be about you know the starter and 
or you look to, you know, specific hitters. But to me, it's, it's about bullpen sound, especially for the Braves. That's how they got here. That's how they've gotten to this point. And um, he's the guy I circle. I mean, he's been ridiculous. I, you know, and I love him too. I mean, just his his background, having the yips, not playing baseball two years, working with the Navy SEALs, like everything that he did to get back on the field and then what he's been able to do. And he still continued to do it. But I'm really interested in game six because to me that is the X factor. If he starts to get hit or if he looks tired at all, then I don't think they can win this World Series. Wow. That is a, that's a pretty big X factor then for you. Um, I won't ask for a prediction. I know you can't do that. But uh, uh, interesting stuff, and uh, I do think you're completely right about the crowd factor. Um, and like you said, the experience of those Astros players, a little less puckering maybe even with the series uh, on the line there than there will be for the, for the Braves trying to get it done before a Game 7 is required. Thanks for the insight, Jess. Looking forward to hearing more of the call. Yes, fame, Sarah. I miss you, girl. <laughs> You too. Jess Mendoza, ESPN MLB analyst. She's calling the World Series with Eduardo Perez and Dan Schulman. Game six is tomorrow night. Coverage on ESPN Radio and the app starts at 7 Eastern. Jess giving you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, Monday night spotlight. The light shining very brightly on the Chiefs. We'll talk about it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. That's right. This Monday Night Football preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. And joining us to talk Chiefs, KC Chiefs reporter Todd Lebo of Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Todd, thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. We got a, like, as you said, maybe not the prettiest game in the world here in Kansas City tonight, <laughs> but the, the Chiefs need to get well. And I guess there's maybe nothing better to get well against them than the Giants, who have struggled in these night games, as you said. That is often the case. Let's talk about Mahomes. Nine picks tied for the NFL lead, even though he hasn't even played the eighth game like most of the other quarterbacks in the league. How do you even begin to describe the mistakes that he's made without playing the hindsight game where we're, oh, we, we should have known that those side passes and quirky things would have ended up like this eventually. A lot of people are saying that. I don't know if that's the case. This looks different. It does look a little bit different. I, and he admitted this week when we, we talked to him, heading up to this game, like, you know, they, people have been playing him differently, right? A lot of cover two, trying to take what's given to them. But I think he, he even admitted this. When he's doing that, sometimes he's not seeing what's open down the field. And that's, you know, it's not, I'm not going to go he's seeing ghosts or anything like that, okay? We're not going there. But they're, they're doing some things to confuse him. And this is the copycat league. This happened a little bit at the end of the last year. You know, the Chiefs had a, a really nice regular season, but they weren't all easy, right? And the Super Bowl was terrible, and now since then, people are playing them a little bit differently, and he's going to have to prove that they can adjust and do better. Now, they've had a little bad luck, right? I mean, he's thrown two interceptions that hit Tyreek Hill's hand and bounced up for picks, but they're not all like that. And honestly, for me, this feels like it should have been like this in 2018, but he came out so insanely good that it's a little bit weird to see somewhat of a re regression in year four as a starter. Our guy, Stash, our producer here on Spain and Fitz, is a massive Chiefs fan. And I asked last week, after yet another very calm and collected Patrick Mahomes presser after a loss, whether he needs to be angrier. Not for show, not performatively, but is there too much of a complacency or a quiet certainty that things will get better that should be replaced with 
a little more fire and anger, even if just to motivate a team that has a whole lot of guys in it that have already won a ring, have already been to two Super Bowls. Is that maybe part of the issue here? They just don't have enough young blood that that, that is hungry for it? Well, that, there's no question. I mean, here's, here's the thing. All their best players were on the Super Bowl team two years ago. And for the most part, they either all got paid or they're maybe angry they haven't gotten paid. Yet. Right, right. Uh-oh. Did we lose him? Man, we're having bad luck with our with our guests. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I mean, I think that's a huge part of it. It's certainly something people have mentioned that you can't ignore. In, in a game, especially like football, it's such a grind. If you already got paid, maybe you take a little step back. If you're mad you didn't get paid, maybe you're trying to stay healthy before that big contract comes. And there's just the sort of subconscious where you don't even know you're doing it, but you're affected by the fact that you've already gotten one. Todd, we've got you back. Todd Lebo of Sports Radio 810 WHB and KC. Uh, you, you could finish your thought there about uh, guys looking for a contract or already got one. Yeah, I mean, you know, they got a whole bunch of guys. Mahomes got the huge deal, right? The, uh, Chris Jones got the big deal. Tyron Matthew, I don't think, is playing very well this year. He's unhappy. He didn't get a deal. So all of their lives are a little bit different. I don't know how the hunger can be like it is. Like like you like it was in 2019. They they took all they could last year to quote unquote run it back and get the Super Bowl. Trying to do that a third year and you're doing it in front of actual full stadiums where everybody hates you. I mean they've kind of taken that role in the AFC now. The pressure's kind of on them to do that. I, I don't know if Mahomes has it in to come out and you know tear up a locker room, right? Now I right. Don't, we don't get to see the locker room at all. There's no more availability in locker rooms, so we're, we're not in there. You don't get a real feel for what the locker room is like right now. But when they come out, I mean. I don't know. Maybe we need someone to start cussing. I don't know. Scream, <laughs> yell. I'm not, I'm not sure what'll work. Uh, but they need to find something. I mean, at this point, like on Friday, Anthony Hitchens and Tyreek, or uh, excuse me, Tyron Matthew were getting in kind of little spats with people on Instagram. That's not a good look when you're, you know, you're trying to get things right. And especially when Andy Reid has talked about the locker room he believes in to kind of turn this thing around. So maybe the, the, uh, the medicine will be a Giants team, but it doesn't get easier after this. The Packers are coming to town. They got to play the Raiders, the Cowboys. Uh, this is kind of a desperation type, type game. I don't think this is one they can afford to drop. Todd, you're right. We're not in the locker room, so we don't know if Mahomes is pulling a Diana Taurasi and punching doors and things like that. We don't know <laughs> what's going on back there. Let me ask you, because this game tonight, obviously, like you said, they don't have to do a ton to beat an inferior Giants team. But big picture, not just tonight, but going forward, obviously that defense is terrible. But what can they do with the personnel they currently have to change the way this season is going? Well, honestly, since they're not, I mean, they're not trading for Vaughn Miller, right? Right. They just have to play better. I mean, that's all it is. You're paying Chris Jones all this money. You, you know, Frank Clark, healthier. They're paying him all this money. Tyron Matthew is making the most amount of money he's ever made just because it's like $14 million in the last year of your contract. He's got to play better. They just have to have, have to be better because, you know, there's not anyone going to walk through the door who's going to fix things. They, they just have to take it upon themselves to, to be better at their jobs. I, and there's really nothing else you can do besides that because they're, they're not going to fire Steve Spagnuolo during the year and make some switch that way. Andy Reid doesn't do those kind of things. they got to get better and because they, they have a first-place schedule. They played very difficult teams this year, and they've lost to those teams. You know, I mean, it looks like they could win the NFC East, right, because they've beaten Philly and they've beaten Washington, and maybe they'll beat the Giants tonight. But We lose them again? Oh. We're, lo- we're losing Todd a little bit. Uh we're running out of time here, so I'm going to let Todd go. I think it's the connection. He's probably en route to the game, but that's Todd Lebo, Sports Radio 810 WHB in KC. You know, he mentioned Teron Matthew and, and, and some players going after the fans. 
That's a tough one. You never want to dice it up with the fans on social media, but there is a part of me that understands a little bit the frustration with being criticized so quickly after winning it all and making it back to the Super Bowl. I think fans are very frustrated and disappointed. The expectations were very high. Um, There is a little part of me that understands the frustration from Teron Matthew, although I don't know if that's the best way to handle it. Todd Lebo giving you the Monday night preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. On the other side, you've got a Giants team, and as I mentioned, they – uh, are not good in prime time with Daniel Jones. Career record of 0-6 in night games, but worth noting that for as many really ugly losses they've had, those six losses have come by an average of just 5.67 points per game. I know we're quibbling here. I'm offering up a stat. They don't lose by that much, though, uh, but they keep it close, at least. And that would be the hope for the Giants tonight. Without Saquon Barkley, going to see a lot of Daniel Jones probably using those legs. He could scoot. We know that about Daniel Jones. Uh, and really, it's going to come down to Mahomes not making ugly mistakes. It's not a good defense on that Chiefs team, but you don't give the other team possession. You don't give up the ball and put them in easy field position, and the Chiefs should be able to get a little closer to five 500 as for uh, the Giants. Uh, maybe just keeping it to that 5.67 points is the goal at this point. Uh, Dave Gettleman under fire there, and rightfully so. Uh, another lost season for that team, it's looking like, although... Yeah, you've been building for a while. I'm going to need to see at least a first floor. Coming up, we got a busy day of NFL news. We're going to bring in a former GM to get his opinion. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz here any moment on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining me now on the Goodyear Hotline for our regular Monday chat, it's Randy Mueller, former NFL exec, host of the Football GM podcast at The Athletic and MuellerFootball.com. Randy, thanks for the time. My pleasure, Sarah. Good to be with you. Lots of news today. Let's start with the big acquisition. The Rams giving up more draft picks to get Von Miller. (laughs) They really just don't care about the guys with potential. They like proven assets, and I'm here for it in a win-now situation for this team. What do you make of the trade? Well, it's definitely another another swing that they've made at it. I, I think it probably puts the Rams in a category of most all-in for this mm-hmm. year ever in the NFL. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it before. But, yeah, I mean, obviously Von Miller has a lot of uh, skins on the wall. He's a guy that's going to help them if healthy. Um, they don't have to pay much in terms of compensation for him with the Broncos picking up the majority of his salary. You know, and I guess from Denver's standpoint, for nine million bucks, they get a second and a third round pick next year. We know the Rams don't value draft picks, so maybe everybody wins. Most of all, maybe Vaughn Miller because he now goes to a Super Bowl contender. How big of a difference do you think this makes for the Rams, the acquisition of Miller? Well, I think it's a piece. I don't know that they're getting the Vaughn Miller of four or five years ago. I guess that's the that's the uh, six million dollar question, right? I think he's going to help them as a spot rusher. I don't know how much more they're going to depend on him, but the thing is they're ahead in a lot of games. So they're, they're rushing the opponent's passer a lot. And I think he will definitely factor in probably more for them than he did in Denver. That was the one thing about his time in Denver this last year or two is they didn't win a lot of games. So they weren't ahead a lot. So, you know, uh, he, he didn't get a chance to rush the passer like he will with the Rams. But in fairness, Randy, if you really look at what we've seen so far this year from the Broncos, I know they might not be a great team, but they're in the thick of the playoff hunt. Why trade an asset for future assets that doesn't make you better right now when you still are in the thick of it? 
Well, I do think they have some pieces that they feel pretty good about, some youth, maybe not of Vaughn Miller's pedigree, but some guys they feel pretty good about uh, that have come up through their ranks, and I, I think Vic will play those guys. The other thing is Vic Fangio's defense is one that he can scheme some pressures for. I think it really goes back to when George Payton, their GM, took the job six or eight months ago, and there was some discussion whether they were going to pick up the option on Von Miller's contract. If you remember right, there were some off-the-field issues. The injuries have always been an issue now. And there was some doubt if they were going to even pick up that option. Now they've done that. They're, they probably aren't going to have Von Miller going forward after this year. So they get a chance to get two picks. I think it bodes well for the franchise going forward. It might be the best thing for them. It may not be the best thing for their coaches uh, security-wise because they're on a little different calendar than GM George Payton. Spain and Fitz. Fitz is here. What up, Fitz? Hi. We're talking to Randy Mueller, former <laughs> NFL exec. You can find his work on MuellerFootball.com. Let's talk about Adrian Peterson. According to Adam Schefter, the Titans are going to sign him. Obviously, they need to do something with the loss of Derrick Henry, at least through January, if not for the rest of the season. What could the former seven-time Pro Bowler have to give the Titans? Well, I think he gives them some name and he gives them some pedigree. Sometimes you'll see these veteran teams and ones that are fixing to make playoff runs send a message to the locker room. And that's really, as a GM, the only message I care about is what my locker room thinks. And now they get Adrian Peterson, who we all know has done this. He's been there. He's done everything imaginable in this league. And I think it might be a little, you know, adrenaline rush, a little vote of confidence that, hey, the front office is willing to do whatever. They know we're all in for right now and this year, too. So maybe he gives them a little bit of that. I'm not so sure they don't sign another running back as well. And, you know, you could probably even consider a Frank Gore or something like that. They they want to grind the ball. They're not going to change the way they do things. And I think Adrian Peterson comes in. He gives them 10, 12, 15 carries a game. Maybe they mix in another back with him. So they're going to still be a running team, a play-action pass team. And I think Adrian Peterson's probably been in shape. I know he didn't want to give it up before, so maybe they're going to get a little value there. Like I say, I know they'll give the locker room a little bit of juice. I mean, at the end of the day, when you've accounted for as much of the offense as, as Henry has, I understand, but they do have weapons in the passing game. How hard is it at this point in the season to really adjust your identity as a team to lean on where your strengths now lie? Well, I don't know that you're going to be able to, Jason. That's the issue. I think you are what you are at this point in the year. So, yeah, maybe they can throw the ball a little more, but their team is built on the running game. Their offense is built on it. Their receivers, their game is built on it. Yeah, maybe they can throw the ball a little bit more, but Tannehill is never going to be the guy that's going to carry you with, you know, 25, 30 drop-back passes a game. They have got to find a way to run the ball, and I think they'll be able to do that. I just don't think they're going to be able to change their identity. Now, maybe they they lean a little more on Julio. They lean a little more on the receivers. But I think for the most part, they are a running team, and that's still what you're going to see. Randy Mueller with us here on the Goodyear Hotline. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. You can hear Randy Mueller, the Football GM podcast at The Athletic, and read him at MuellerFootball.com. We saw a lot of backup quarterbacks get big wins yesterday. Of the ones that stood out, I would say the Mike White, the Trevor Simeon, the Cooper Rush, maybe even throw in Geno Smith. Which of that guys do you actually think can prove to be the guy we saw yesterday and not just a lucky night? Well, it was definitely a landmark day, that's for sure. I mean, you're talking about Mike White in, in New York, who's been around for three or four years, finally getting an opportunity. That's hard to, to pretend or to, you know, in, in fantasy world, throw for 400 yards. So 
what he did can't go away. I will say this, with regard to Cooper Rush and the game he played against the Vikings, from a number standpoint, maybe doesn't match up to Mike White. But what I thought was, I saw Cooper Rush um, with poise. I saw him okay in the pocket. I have often said the pocket isn't for everybody, but it was for Cooper Rush last night. So he may have made himself a little money down the road here a little bit. I just think he had the, the, the ability to make throws from a noisy pocket, and he's a bigger, stronger dude, so he doesn't get jostled around much. I think that's more that, that sometimes is harder to find than just evaluating through the numbers uh, that these guys put up. It's always interesting, Randy, because like if this then that doesn't work in the NFL so often, I know. But if you're a Jets fan and you've watched Zach Wilson struggle all year, now you see the backup come in and play well. Like, how much of that is a, a fair and real analysis of what it means for where Zach Wilson is? Well, I think it, it was always going to be a, somewhat of a learning curve for Zach Wilson. I think it's still a learning curve. I don't think their plan has changed. You're talking about the difference of somebody being in the in the game, you know, ten weeks as opposed to three or four years. So there's a difference in learning curve. There's a difference in comfort level. Um, I think Zach Wilson is still going to be their guy for the long haul. But, yeah, obviously, I think this actually him missing time may help him because he can catch his breath. Um, it looks like Mike can, can get him through a period of time here. But I think Zach Wilson will be their guy going forward. And, and I think he can probably learn from stepping back as well. It's just nice to know you got two guys. Randy, one sentence or fewer which team yesterday changed your opinion of them the most? Oh, boy. Um, Sarah, you're killing me. Um, <laughs> the, the New Orleans Saints changed my opinion because I think they can win with any quarterback. The coach wow. is that good. Okay, good answer. Hey, Randy, thanks for the time as always. Thanks, Randy. My pleasure. Randy Mueller, former NFL exec with us here on Spain and Fitz. Reacting to all the NFL news of the day is brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Right now that Fitz is here, we have very important things to take care of. Forget football. Forget World Series. We got to talk Halloween. Big day for Fitz. We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spiders are still there somewhere, just getting bigger by the day. Uh, If you're me... You think any spider that has ever been sucked up into a vacuum is growing bigger and bigger inside the dustbuster or vacuum, potentially having babies, so that when you go to take the bag out to, to, to empty it, what you're going to find is just a family of spiders waiting to murder you. Is I, that just me? Is I, that I, just I, a I, I me thing? Not long ago, I discovered the largest spider I've ever seen in person in my life uh, outside of the house in Connecticut on the edge of the garage, like, and I went and got, went into the garage and I got like, I have this insect spray stuff and I had one of those huge things of insect spray. But he was outside. Yeah. yeah, but he. Oh yeah. But here's the thing. He was huge, right? He was huge. She she was huge actually. It turns out because I I started just spraying and spraying and spraying and spraying. And I used almost the whole bucket of the spray on this one spider and the spider the entire way was still putting up a fight, still getting up. And and I'm like, this spider's going to end up in my house and then I'm going to have an issue. And so finally it fell and I had to, I had, to kill it because you know that's the merciful thing to do at that point and i killed it and it like spread all over the driveway it was a it was the largest spider i've ever seen only to find out in the corner like i was trying to figure i thought that it had clumped up web behind it but it looked like they were they were like sacks of spider eggs behind it so yeah i'm not oh, sure i don't God. need to bomb the whole garage oh, gross like, i haven't decided at this point like well whether... what you should have done is left the spider in its home it's spain and fitz by the way sarah spain jason fitz <laughs> a couple years ago i decided i was not going to kill any more spiders even if they're in my house, 
Um, either they just get to do their thing if they're in a high corner somewhere or they get trapped and brought outside because they're not doing anything. And I would like to think that if I was just harmlessly living, not hurting anybody, I wouldn't be exterminated for no reason. So all the bugs in the Spain household get to live except for ants. I'm so sorry, ants. There's too many of you and you just have to go. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters, presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. We're, of course, talking spiders because yesterday was Halloween. And if you're new to the program, you might not be aware that Fitz is obsessed. Uh, Fitz keeps mannequins in his closet year-long, either as an alibi for something or because of his Halloween decorating. Uh, I'm going to go with the the latter for now sure. uh, to save my sanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you describe to everyone your usual Halloween uh, tricks and treats? And and then, of course, you know, how was this year? One of the best yet? Yeah, so uh, there, uh, there are 35 movies represented in the front lawn of uh, my house in Nashville, and my in-laws live directly next door. So we've taken over their lawn. And, in fact, the two neighbors across the street, they got some decor. They started working on it. So now it's nice. become this whole little pocket, you know. But there are 35 different horror movies. The best scene this year, I think, is in the middle of uh, the like little area right in front of our house where there's a we got a mattress and that mattress is like tilted down and there's a body falling into the mattress to replicate Nightmare on Elm Street. So you just see the limbs and then there's a, and, and it's like crawling its way out while Freddy Krueger comes over the bed and like a whole scene is set up. There's also a couch for Beetlejuice to sit on with a massive snake behind it. There's a 12 uh, foot inflatable Stay Puft Marshmallow Man with uh, the Ghostbusters going after so like all these different movies are are represented and lots of animatronic things but then as you know uh, on halloween uh everything turned everything comes to life so uh dozens that's my favorite part all the kids that have come by with their parents throughout the month and seen all the mannequins and feel very comfortable stopping by to see it all all of a sudden traumatized then all of a sudden everything comes to life that uh this year uh, there were uh, i think about a dozen people that showed up to uh to replace the mannequins and from what I understand on the final count, because, you know, full size candy bars, like you've got a reputation when you've got that big of a spread. So, you know, there's a, and you know me, I'm cheap. So full size candy bars is a big thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, the the last count I got was 400 full size candy bars were given out. That's how many trick or treaters. Oh, so yeah, 400. It's become so people like, decide to come to like they'll drive yeah. and come to your place in your area yes. instead of their own because it's the best. That's awesome. Yeah, the local okay, so the local wh- police do a really nice job of trying to keep. A, they're not allowed to come run traffic, but the traffic becomes so impossible to get on and off the street that they do a nice job of at least putting presents over there in case there's an accident or anything like that. Like it's it's that that big of it's like a theme park at this point where everybody walks from lawn to lawn to lawn, and I'm amazed nobody's gotten like. Uh, nobody's gotten hurt as people scare kids into the street. It's really, right. it's a delight. Right. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, king of Halloween, Jason Fitz. Is there one particular of the setup this year that was the most terrifying for, for the kiddos? I like I, to hear about their pain. I, I think the kids uh, are, well, this year it's funny because most years Michael Myers, I think is the scariest thing for everybody, but the new Halloween movie is so bad that kids weren't really scared by uh, by any of that. But there was a large display done this year for killer clowns from outer space. 
Okay. Which is already, and one of those things was animatronic, so it has like the voice and everything. But uh, one of my uh, one of my friends that's well over six feet uh, replaced one of the other clowns, so everybody's used to the one clown moving. But apparently, the second clown was something that nobody was ready for. Uh, as uh, candy was dropped, things were thrown at people, and I do believe that one uh, one preteen uh, wet herself as she was. Uh, <laughs> as she was, uh, yeah, the clown came to life, and oh, she wasn't no. ready for it. Oh, no. Uh, Fitz, I know you guys tend to turn everything over immediately. I already saw your wife had put some Santa caps on some folks to let everyone know this will slowly transform into all Christmas movies using a lot of the same uh, mannequins but different costumes. Uh, Did you do any of your regular follow-ups for Halloween this year? Did you go to the store and buy some things on sale? Oh, my God. I mean, I am, uh, of course. Like, this is the day that you go to Spirit Halloween and you spend an uncomfortable amount of money. But (laughs) the important thing to note is when you're spending an uncomfortable amount of money at at Spirit Halloween, like I I did today, the important thing to note is that while I did it, I had the new Pentatonix Christmas record on. No, first of all, we've been over this. No, we're not going to talk Pentatonix on this show. This is a place where we divide... I want to stay a unified front as a show, okay, okay. and Pentatonix will divide us. Okay. Uh, let's get back to what you bought. What what was the big purchase at Spirit? Do we do we have one of those twelve foot skeletons yet? I keep seeing everywhere. No, Ooh, or those. I've seen a lot of those spiders that have crazy, crazy different colors circulating in their big spider bulbs. Yeah, whatever no, so, those are called. So the spiders are a little hit and miss because I'm such a seasoned owner of these things that now uh, over the over time when they jump, the jumping mechanism goes away and then they sort of fall over. So okay. I'm, I'm out on the spiders even at half price because the day after okay. it's period. And, and the price. giant skeletons? Too. Uh, the giant skeleton, the 12 foot skeleton is impossible to find. Like, you know, mm. it's a Home Depot thing and High they're, they're really, they're, you know, so but having a 12 foot Stay Puff, Puff Marshmallow Man I think is uh, is cooler, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, and and also, that's like, I'm not big on inflatables at all, but the staple of Marshmallow Man can be inflatable because, you know, it, it looks was. more that's, like the Marshmallow Man. That's yeah, the right look. look. Right, right, right. But the, okay. uh, there's, one, there's one particular animatronic uh, that uh, I've, I've coveted that is called Harvester of Souls, and it's like a Grim Reaper <laughs> holding a small child, and it says, your soul will be mine forever, and it lifts the kid, and you connect the fog machine to the inside of it, and it looks like it's breathing the fog into the kid's mouth to, Dude, like, steal its soul. I that's, just yeah. Googled it yeah. it's incredible yeah. harvester yeah. of souls animatronic yeah uh this thing is real t- real scary yeah. the, the 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 craziest thing i saw this year was my neighbor who had a man in an electric chair mm. and when you hit a button he shook the lights went off he screamed it was extremely realistic i was not expecting it uh that by far uh stole the uh yard displays from me this year i forgot to ask what were you and sunny dressed as and when you had everybody over the house for the party, did you have a lot of uh, of the fake blood and the gross stuff inside uh, as well? Yeah, she she uh, has been throughout the entire season the nun costume, and uh, that that's the go to. And my go to is just all... any nun or a bloody no, nun. No, the, the or... nun. It's a movie. It's a it's a oh, horror I definitely movie. never yeah. saw that. A very signature movie. Uh, and I'm I'm big on Scream. It's always like I'm I'm always Ghostface because it's an easy one to get around. You know, so that's I'm surprised. One... Ghostface seems too simple. Yeah, well, but that's the thing. Like when you're running after kids that, that don't realize that they all right. think you're not going to run. All you got to do is pick up the pace and get right on them. Ghostface is an easy one, too, yeah. to like look completely like a statue until you get there. Yeah, uh, maybe next year you could mix it up and be Ghostface Killa from uh, Wu-Tang. That would be, that would be, yeah. 
No. Probably <laughs> problematic for me. An ambitious crossover event. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz coming up. A little NFL good take, hot take. What's everybody saying after a crazy Sunday in the league? Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. Hot takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Greenway way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. That's right. We take some of the bloviating gas bags from around our network and we ask whether they had a good take or a hot take. Starting with Dan Orlovsky on always. Get Up. Talking, <laughs> always starting. He's the king of good take, hot take. He uh, won an award for it last year. Uh, he's talking about the Browns and OBJ on Get Up today. If I were the Kansas City Chiefs and the New Orleans Saints, I would call the Browns and see if they'll trade Odell Beckham. I think the Browns need a trade. What about the oh, Packers? Packers are in there as well. Yeah. I, I, would, I would put them in He'd that conversation. Love to go to the Packers. Yeah. Um, trade Odell to get what? Something on the defensive side because okay. that is the reason why they are the biggest disappointment in football. That's why they're a 4-4 four and four football team. This team has two losses this year when they scored 30 and 42. They're not a 4-4 four and four football team because their quarterback is playing with one arm and playing tough yesterday all season. They're a 4-4 football team because all the money and all the draft picks that they spent on the defensive side of the football have been an absolute and utter failure. All right, Fitz. OBJ out. Get somebody on defense instead. Good take, hot take. I mean, there are several hot takes within that one take, so I'm going (laughs) to hot take that whole thing because, first of all, he called the Browns the biggest appointment and disappointment in all of football. I mean, I believe the defense, the defense, okay, just the defensive yeah. phase. All right, that 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 maybe maybe I'm say Washington football team's defense is even more disappointing. I, so I would agree with you on that. Also, why would the Browns ever want to trade to his scenario? Hey, let's give Odell Beckham Jr. to the Chiefs because they could use another weapon in the same conference. Like, if you're doing it, it's because you think you've got a shot at the Super Bowl, right? Like, you're not going to arm the Chiefs with more good goods. So, I think this is all a hot take, and frankly, like they're not not going to get enough in value back for him. I don't think they should get rid of him. I think this is a good take. He good. I, 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 for a long time, I resisted this idea, and I thought they'll be able to figure it out. I don't know what the problem is, but the problem's been on ongoing for long enough that I don't really see a fix, and I don't see the point in continuing to beat their heads against the wall. It's just th- those guys together, Baker and OBJ, it's just not the thing. So I'm I'm okay with it if you can get something of value back if you're not going to use him the way you should and allowing him to go play somewhere where he can use his skill set. So good take for me. Let's move on. Chris Canty and Stephen A. Smith divided over what will happen for the Titans now with Derrick Henry out at least, at least eight weeks, if not longer. Maybe could come back for the playoffs, but that's a reach. Here's what Canty said on Canty and Golick Jr. about the team. They are a well-coached football team. That defense has discovered something with that pass rush. They have two physical weapons on the outside with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. I wouldn't discount the Tennessee Titans altogether. They can still give teams some problems. It's just that how it looks on offense is going to have to tweak. It's going to have to change a little bit just because you're missing such a big piece. Okay, they'll be fine. Just need to tweak some things. They're well-coached. They're okay. Or... You could go with Stephen A. Smith's take. Tennessee Titans season's over. Oh. Let's call it what it is. Uh, this is their running game. Who the hell are you going to have running the ball now? Uh, we'll discuss it a little bit later on the show, but Tennessee Titans season's over. 
Okay. Let's call it what it is. Uh, this is their running game. Who the hell are you going to have running the ball now? Jeremy McNichols or whatever the hell his name is, the backup? I mean, that ain't going to work. I think it's Jeremy McNichols. Yeah, it's Jeremy McNichols. I mean, please, come on now. This is Derrick Henry we're talking about here. Fresh off a 2,000-yard season, right. en route to another 2,000-yard season, averaging 4.3 yards a carry, top five rushing, top four running attack in the National Football League, and he goes down. It is over. The Tennessee Titans, their season, as far as I'm concerned, is finished. All right, Fitz, we can both agree whether good or hot. It's a bold take to say that a guy whose name you don't know doesn't have the ability to play in a way that you would hope for. Uh, that's definitely a bold take. Good take, hot take on both these guys. Uh, I think Canty's a good take, and good. I think Stephen A's a hot take. And I guess I what do we define as seasons over? Because last time I checked, if you look at the standings right now, I mean, the Titans are 6-2. and two. They are clearly, not only are they the best team in their division, the Colts are second best at 3-5, and five, and they've already been swept by the Titans. So the Titans have, by virtue of that, what a, they have a three, three-and-a-half game lead in their division. Like, it would take an epic collapse combined with an epic sort of turnaround for the Colts to make anything happen. I think they have a ton of headway. Plus, they paid Ryan Tannehill $118 million for a reason. They believe he can win football games. They do have good weapons on the outside. They're, they have games that are still winnable on their schedule. So even if the Titans don't play very well without Derrick Henry for the rest of the way, they can still basically fumble, stumble, and bumble their way to nine or ten wins, which will be enough to win the division. I'm going to say Canty's is a hot take because it's just way too casual about a guy who <laughs> leads fair. the league in rushing, has more carries through eight weeks than anyone in NFL history, who's second in command in terms of rushing on the team is Ryan Tannehill, and on a team where there's no running back on the roster with more than 38 yards. Just way too casual for me from Canty. I would also say, though, Stephen A. Smith's take is only hot if you think of the word over as not going to make the playoffs. I think you're right. I said earlier in the show, Colts would have to go eight and one to overtake the Titans. If they can just go four and five and they've got games against the Texans twice, the Jags, the dolphins winnable games that could get them to four and five while the Colts would have to beat teams like the Cardinals, Patriots, Bucks, bills. So I think you're right about the playoffs, but what do we mean by over is making the playoffs satisfactory enough to count it as a, as what we would expect from the Titans season. I just don't think they're going to be a contending team without Derrick Henry. So for me, it's over, and Stephen A. Smith has a good take. Now, either way, they're going to have to adjust. We're doing a little good take, hot take, by the way. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Mina Kimes on Canty and Joel Golick Jr. on how they should adjust. When that offense is clicking, when the play-action pass is working, and, and Tannehill is just a great play-action quarterback, uh, which isn't a an insult, by the way. Sometimes people take that as an insult. It, it, it's it's not. He's deadly accurate, especially throwing over the middle of the field, and um, and of course having AJ Brown and Julio Jones helps as well. But he's made Henry better, and then Henry has made him better. So to take him out of that offense, um, you know, defenses are certainly going to commit fewer resources to stopping the run, and we'll see how that affects the passing attack. But I said on live today, you know, if I'm the Titans, you really don't want to change your approach on offense too much because it's what serves not just your quarterback best, but also your wide receivers in your offensive line. All right, so good take or hot take from Mina that they shouldn't really change their approach that much. Well, that feels like a hot take just because it's hard for me to imagine they can get anywhere near, like Adrian Peterson's not going to get them anywhere near the the 
the threat that they've had, and and nobody's going to stack the box the way they do for Derrick Henry. So I just don't know that anybody would really buy it. I, I feel like you'd be doing sort of the blue light special version of your offense that way. At least use, utilize some of the other weapons you have. Yeah, I'm torn on this one. I think it's kind of a hot take because I don't know how you don't change your approach a ton when you've lost the bulk of your offense. At the same time, I think what she pointed out is accurate. You're not going to get into just a throwing air raid matchup with other teams, especially the Rams this upcoming uh, weekend. So I I guess she's right. It's just hard to picture. All right, the last one, Bart Scott, Rex Ryan, both the hosts of Organized Chaos. On that podcast, they were talking about Brian Flores and an ugly Dolphins team. Have we crowned have we crowned Brian Flores too early as some type of guru, great coach? Because it seems like his team at one and seven, you talk about the biggest disappointment in the game. Like they're fourth in the division. Yes. The Miami Dolphins, who a lot of people pick to potentially compete, and they can't put it on Tua because Tua hasn't been playing bad. This defense has been horrible, supposed to have been big time, and this offense has been horrendous. Yeah, and when I look at it, look, look, Brian Flores is 16 and 24 as a head coach. You know what that normally means? It means you get fired. Fitz, uh, listen, this is uh, this has been an ugly season for the Dolphins. It was not that long ago that we said they were ahead of schedule, and yet here we are. So those two guys, hot take or good take, that he should be on the hot seat and fired? I think today that's a hot take. I, I, I want to give him another year. I just feel like th- it's been so weird, and I, what we saw last year doesn't feel like a fluke. Like, you can't have that level of success just totally fluky, right? So we know he's capable of it. I, I feel like it's hot take. I do too. I think it's too early. I, I think there's a number of factors that have contributed to what's been really ugly. I just don't know how much patient there is in the league right now, and I don't know if he's going to have a chance to prove that he can get them out of this hole this season or next. But Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, coming up. We asked you about the World Series. Who's in control? You'll tell us next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We will be off again tomorrow night for the World Series, Game 6. But it will be here on ESPN Radio. Coverage starts at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. By the way, we asked you earlier in the show... I did because Fitz was uh, delinquent in his duties, as always, doing a completely different show during the show that has his name on it. But that's a conversation for another time. I asked you, because of the win last night, the comeback dramatic win by the Astros after giving up a grand slam early in the game, do you feel like momentum has shifted? So even though the Braves still have the upper hand in terms of the uh, three to two uh, uh, score in games, uh, have the Astros grabbed the momentum? 61% of you said the Braves still in control. 38% said the Astros have the momentum now. And on the Spain and Fitz Nation, uh, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at the dude abides underscore X hit us up and said, Braves in control. Got freed and Ian ready. The big guns in the pen are rested and the Astros are in the opposite position. Astros also weirdly struggle at home in World Series games. Atlanta will win the series fits. I said, if uh, anybody has to win this unlikable series, I'll take the Braves away so that the Astros fans are sad at home because of the cheating and all that. And then the Braves fans can't be doing the chop 
while the winning is happening because that annoys me too. Uh, or a meteor. What 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 do you want? I, I mean, hey, I like your your uh, approach to all of this and the universal sadness that comes from from yeah. all of it. But yeah. I will say this: uh, to me, it stood out that the Astros had a winnable game that they lost a couple of nights ago. They end up losing that game. It puts them into this hole. Then they come back and they win the game. I, I think pretty decisively uh, last night. So I I don't I don't really think momentum, even though the score was not on the Astros side, I don't think momentum really backed that up. So going back to Houston, where the trash cans are probably just a little louder, and they've got you know <laughs> different ways that they can get those signals into people. You know that, that I I feel like it's going to give them an advantage. I, there's no way in my mind it doesn't at least go seven games, and uh, you know, and then we'll see. You never know in a seven game but uh, I, I feel like that i'm not sure momentum shifted but i think houston's at least representing themselves better in this series now it's spain and fitz he's jason fitz i'm sarah spain of course if he's here we're going to talk some college football because tomorrow the first of the college football playoff rankings to be released heather dinich our college football senior writer was on best week ever on espn radio to give her first four it's going to change. It should change. Every week it should change because of the results. Yep. But right now I think, you know, George is obviously the undisputed number one. I think one of the big questions for the committee is the one-loss teams. Um, how high do they have some of those teams? And I, I think Alabama uh, – I think we had at ESPN.com Alabama number four. I personally had them at number two because I think if they line up against anybody I have ranked behind them, I think they win. I had Michigan State at number three. And I put Cincinnati at number four, followed by Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma fans will love that. Um, just on the bubble there at number five, followed by Oregon and Ohio State. I did honor the head-to-head this week. So, you know, uh, I think Cincinnati, even though they did not win convincingly each of the past two weeks, they still are finding ways to get it done. And the win against Notre Dame resonates. I dropped Michigan down to number 10. First of all, Al Duncan's got to be walking around campus out there like LeVar Ball on SportsCenter a couple years ago because she's got her Braves in the World Series. She's got Georgia at number one. I mean, she is living the dream. Do you agree with uh, Heather's selections there? Okay, so a couple of things. If you haven't seen Elle's trash talking uh, jam band on Saturday, it's a yeah, delight. I so mean, that's, good. That, that's yeah, yeah. in and of itself. I keep trying to find a way to take a Saturday off just so I can go sit in with the cool kids as they do that. I don't even care about the outcome. <laughs> it just looks like they're having a good time. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's interesting to me, and by the way, shameless plug, 8 p.m. tomorrow night rankings reaction comes back mm. with me, Mike Golick Jr., and Christine Wait a Williamson. minute, 8 p.m. Uh-huh. 8 yeah. p.m. What, what else happens at 8 The World oh, okay. Series tomorrow night. The okay, World Series. Okay, we're off. We're uh, off. We're mm-hmm. Okay, I was about to give mm-hmm. you a, another talking to, but well, I'll, I'll, I'll be having wait. the night free. Uh, I'm going to see whose who's line is it anyway live to see my buddy Joel Murray and uh, – so you enjoy that. Yeah, well, uh, we'll I'll, be talking I'll, about I'll college be, football and Cheez-Its. So those are two things. Like <laughs> I know that I'm going to eat my body weight in Cheez-Its every Tuesday starting uh, this way. Eight to nine, though, you can check it out. Uh, I, I think Heather's close on her top four. And, you know, she obviously will forget most college, more college football than most of us will ever know. Uh, mm-hmm. But I totally agree that the charge here is not who's the most deserving. The, the committee is charged with finding the four best. I always say it's the four best of the most deserving. And uh, I would also have Georgia and Alabama number one and number two. I would have Michigan State number three. I wouldn't have Cincinnati number four. And I really like Cincinnati. I want them to make the playoff. But they just haven't looked all that good the last few weeks. And Ohio State has. So, uh, you know, the question to me is, the biggest one is that Oregon, Ohio State, 6-7. She said she honors the head-to-head. I think a lot of committee members will, but I'm not sure all of them will. Oregon has beaten Ohio State. 
But today, right now, Ohio State is playing so stinking well. I wouldn't have any problem with either of those teams, uh, Oregon or Ohio State, being four and the other being five. I'd put Cincinnati at six, and then I'd put Oklahoma at seven because Caleb Williams uh, has not been the savior that some thought he was going to be throughout the course of the season. I can't, I can't get rid of Kansas out of my mind. Like They looked awful against Kansas, and I just can't get rid of that. So that, that would be my four. I think this is the most interesting first rankings we've ever seen from the College Football Playoff Committee, though. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because we've talked about that a little bit on this show. I usually say it snidely because, as you know, I love everybody's obsession with college football. I adopted Michigan as my team, which was really a ton of fun this weekend as I was glued to my seat to watch that disappointing finish. But I still kind of giggle a little bit at the the dramatics every year because – Somehow we still start every season. If they lose, there's absolutely no way. And then people lose and they still make it. And, you know, things happen. So more so than other years, though, you say that this is the wildest and weirdest and least predictable. Yeah, I think that's largely because you have so many teams with one loss and then trying to figure out, like, the quality wins and quality losses. And and this is the other thing. Like, everybody always wants to go to one metric, and the committee's not looking at any one thing. So right. they're looking at so many different things. It's a, I, I always use the chefing analogy, but, like, if you're an amazing chef and you have a ton of different ingredients, you have to figure out how much of those to use. And every chef might approach that a little differently. So even though they're all handed the same big thing of ingredients – how much each ingredient gets weight in the dish is different for every one of them. So it's going to be interesting to me because I think by eye test, Ohio State's playing better than Oregon right now, but Oregon's beaten them. And then Cincinnati's done everything they're supposed to do. And, you know, how they weigh the fact that, for example, Ohio State lost a game where their offensive coordinator wasn't on the field because of COVID. Like, so does a committee member give that weight? You know, I, I don't know. And that that's what gets really confusing in all of, or sorry, uh, it was Oregon that was without their offensive coordinator. Like, every one of these things becomes a different element that I have no idea how the committee is going to weigh any of it. Yeah. I mean, I I think to your point, it's, it's what Heather said, like it's going to change a lot and probably will. And in the end, we have the same conversation every year, which is trying to figure out what the people on the committee are prioritizing. Yeah. Is it feel, is it eye test? Is it number of losses? Is it strength of schedule? Like there's so many different analytics and then not analytics just feel that they decide that um, we're going to freak out a lot tomorrow about whatever they say, of course, understanding that it's going to change over and over again before the season ends. Uh, but that's the fun of it, and that's the content for the shows that you do. So I'm sure you're yeah. you're pleased well, about and, that. You're you know, okay with it. One thing I always tell everybody, too, is like they're told every week is a brand new week. It never stacks on. So it's not like they start next week by saying, well, here's where we were last week. They completely rebuild from right. scratch every week. So it's going to be drastically different. It's Spain and Fitz coming up. Freddie and Fitzsimmons, they're going to have the entire college football playoff committee. They're going to reveal the findings (laughs) of their rankings early. Never been done before. Very ambitious, but they're going to make it happen. Also, shout out to Untouchable Kaz. It's his birthday tomorrow. He's one of our loyal listeners here on Spain and Fitz. We love all of our OGs. Happy birthday, Kaz. We'll see you guys Wednesday or Thursday. We don't know. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.